0: Good morning everyone and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November fifth, two thousand and seventeen. The share ID numbers for Friday, November third are the following. For the seven AM Eastern Big Book Study, share ID one zero two six two zero. That's ten thousand six hundred and twenty. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10621. That's 10,621. This morning, a vision for you presents a changed outlook. The Big Book teaches on page 143 that to get over drinking will require a transformation of thought and attitude. The 12 Steps as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. For us, of course, this means recovery from compulsive overeating. The obsession of the mind will be driven out as a result of these 12 steps. The real advantage of these steps is that they are a specific proven method for producing a transformation, a change in the way we think, feel, and behave. The 12 steps, when worked sequentially, create a powerful personal transformation. This transformation creates a new attitude and experience toward ourselves, toward others, and towards God. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of our lives, are cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions, ideas, and attitudes begin to dominate us. The results are disproportionate to our efforts. We are rocketed into a fourth dimension, beyond the physical, into a spiritual way of life, and a new world comes into view. Joining us this morning are four recovered compulsive overeaters who will share their experience and results with the 12 step process. Our first panelist, Katie G. from Massachusetts. Welcome to the line, Katie. Good morning. Sorry, Leah.
1: Good morning. I think
0: I can be (laughs) heard. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. What a surprise.
2: Katie G. is eager. All right, I'll start my timer. KDG recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic, and I just want to say what an honor it is to be asked to speak and share with my fellow brothers and sisters. And um was totally excited to hear about this topic. For me, you know, one of my um first sponsors in the fourth step when we were doing the work, she said to me, you know, if you continue to think that way eating is going to be a step up from your thinking. And um, when I was brought this topic, what are, you know, what's the first kind of old idea I had? Well, um, I, from a little girl, I was uncomfortable in my own skin. And I looked around me and I thought, if I had what you had, you know, a family, a functional family, um, big boobs, a boyfriend, a husband, you know, and that would go- that went through my life, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. And that lie was based on fears that I'm not good enough. You know, I've heard it described that I, I'm like a restless dog. You know, I'm circling my tail and trying to find a place to sit. I just felt fundamentally, I, I, I'm not going to get what I need. I'm not going to get what I deserve, right? And I thought that <clears throat> my, I didn't know I had a spiritual sickness, but I thought that the solution to my spiritual problem, which is the restless, irritable, and discontented, is external things and I also felt that life owed me that I deserve to be comfortable all the time and this mishigash of if I had what you had I wouldn't feel the way I feel so I'm not good enough and I need to fight what I need for what I need and what I deserve Right, because I knew what I deserved, set me up for a life of resentment, fear, and sex and relationship issues that kept me going back to the food over and over and over again. And until I had a psychic change, um, you know, it it was awful. And I, I do want to preface this again by saying, I'm recovered, but I can still see that lie pop up. It's just not dominating me the way it used to. So just Really quick. So, my life was based on this fear, right? That, you know, you guys have something that I need and that external things are going to bring me peace. So, how did I act? Well, I was an actor forever trying to arrange the lights, the scenery, and the ballet. I was a boss. All my friends, I, I would tell them what to do. Um, I know that's really surprising and I hated people. I hated my father, I hated my mom, I hated girls who were thin and popular, I hated girls who got their period, people who had happy families, everything external. Because I thought if I could just get everything in a row then I would be okay. And then I was surprised when people didn't wanna be my friend or took a step back from me, even though inside I'm filled with jealousy and envy and I believe that I was treating people well, right? And so, um, because the feelings would get so strong, I would use starving and binging and purging to try and mold myself into someone who deserves the stuff that would give me the stuff that would let me be okay to be me. And I didn't have a lot of skills. Um, At work, you know, I graduated from college and. And I went into my first boss, and I said, within the the first month, I said, what do I need to do to get promoted? Like, forget, you know, showing up to work on time. What do I need to be doing to get promoted? So I was driven by fear, driven, driven, driven. And um, my relationships with other people, I looked for hostages, um, and my life really crashed and burned with addiction. And um, I got into program. But I still believed if I could just, if I could be sin, if I could get the husband, if I could get, you know, if I could get the family, I I would feel better about myself. And so I got into program and I thought, okay, well, I'm a single woman, so I need to get a job that pays me enough money, right? Because I need to get enough money so I can earn enough, like all of this self, right? All of this fear and this self. Um, and I guess what? I got fired from the same job in four different times because I'm a controller and so I was asked to be a manager <laughs> for other people and they would report to me and I would be like, you're thin? No, like you are you can't go home yet. I mean, I wouldn't say this, right, but this is my attitude and I guess if I were to really describe my attitude that came to me in the fourth step and the fifth step that I saw is that I had this judging mind. And from the time I was a little kid, you were either better than me, so I needed to get you to move inside my body and make me feel better and make me be you so I'm okay. Or you were worse than me, so I needed to dump on you and hold you hostage and come inside my body so I feel okay, right? Like those were, that's how I knew. I didn't know how to look at us as God's kids. So, um, and I also wanted to be in intimate relations because God gave me this heart's desire to be a wife to be a mom, and i didn't know how um as a sponsor, I was in a part of a program that you could you know talk about um be a little bit more a lot more um impactful around food and and body weight, and I shared this at another meeting and um i hope you hear it that i don't do this anymore but there was a young woman and she was blonde and thin and had big boobs and a boyfriend and i was like she has everything i want i mean and and so she needs to be heavier than me so i feel safe and secure and needless to say none of this the job that i got fired from four different times the sponsoring none of it helps me to arrive in my own skin right so this lie if i had what you had i wouldn't feel the way i feel caused all of this you know devastation and it, it caused devastation within program i couldn't be happy from uh, for other people i couldn't um, be near you if you had something that i wanted and so my life was burning down and i got to steps four and five and i have to tell you that the work of step four and five brought me from living above my body and how i started to settle into my own skin and i saw that i hated everyone who i thought was better than me because they got the stuff that i thought would change me right and again i thought stuff would cure my spiritual illness and i saw the exact nature of my personality of the judging that i talked about and i saw how much i hated my parents but here's the thing about my parents right like my mom guess what she didn't do the greatest job you know she wasn't whoever donna reed If I looked at who she was compared to her mother, it is astonishing that my mother was physically present, right? So I don't – so my victimhood started to go away, and I started to see, like, everyone is God's kids. Um, Another place that I, you know, started to arrive in my own skin and my ideas, emotions, and attitudes started to change was – so I had this cousin, right? Um, and she was beautiful. Uh oh. Um, she got married. Uh oh. She got married to a New York Times bestseller book guy, right? Like, oh my goodness. And then she got tenure at a per- at a college. Oh my gosh. So I went to make an amend to her because I had treated her horribly. I had gone to her house and, um, taken her stuff and just dumped on her a lot. And, um, the day I went to make an amend to her was the day that she was leaving her alcoholic husband. And so things, my, my old ideas started to crash down around me as I realized your external circumstances, um, it's like the prosaic steel girder, right? Like, Those external circumstances, my ideas about who you are don't like I can't um, compare my insides to your outsides like it's a lie and and my sponsor had to say to me Katie the lie is if I had what you had I wouldn't feel the way I feel and I cognitively did not understand that without her explaining it to me "Mm, maybe 100 times and me writing it down 200 times I'm not kidding. Um, so resentments, I started to fr- get free and see that I was the one creating the block. The fears I saw that every fear I had ever made was based on or every decision I'd ever made was based on fear like i i had um I had to prove to the world that I was good enough that I should be promoted in jobs. I never tried for graduate school um, because I was like, well, I can't fail. Um, I'm going to be, I thought I was going to be abandoned. So I held hostages in relationships. Like I have to get you to be in a relationship with me because I need to stuff, because I need to be okay in my own skin. And it was devastating. And that was amazing, right? To be emotionally devastated because from there I can grow, I can break open. And with sex relations, it was like, All these people that I used right like I just wanted you to give me something so I was okay and what started to shift for me is not only did I arrive in my skin but it started to be okay for me to be uncomfortable in my skin right for me to realize that like this isn't get comfortable anonymous right this is overeaters anonymous and life is about moving through it and sometimes I'm gonna have fear um, and, and sometimes I'm not going to feel good all the time. And I started praying for the people and feeling joyful for the women who got married, who got engaged, who had babies. I mean, these are like core things that I thought I can't be near them because that is too devastating for me. How selfish is that? Like, I'm not going to be happy for you because I'm not getting my stuff. So things really started to shift in steps four and five as a woman looked at me and she knew all my darkness and, um, you know, and life started to shift me. Like, you know, I spent my whole life, you know, thinking if I could just get married, I'm going to be okay. And I'll be honest, the day after my marriage, it was a hard day spiritually. It was just as hard of a day for me as the darkest days of when I was then and, or excuse me, when I was um, single and thinking, I'm just going to be okay once I get married And it was because my work doesn't end with God, right? Like I need a spiritual solution to fill me up and make me okay. And that's all that's going to make me okay. So my beliefs had to be pulverized. um, And I can continue to feel um, darkness around, you know, if people have these things, but I don't, but they don't dominate. And it has truly, truly changed. And I know, I know that stuff doesn't make me happy, that stuff doesn't come into my life and all of a sudden cure me. I know that A, I'm a, a compulsive overeater and I cannot manage my own life and B, that no human power and C, that God can if he's sought. And so what I wanted to like leave you guys with today is that yes, I'm recovered and I'm not dominated by these lies and fears anymore. However, like... I still need to seek God with the desperation of a drowning woman because, you know, my ten can can my step tens can sound like looking for human powers to fill me right. But what really has happened to me as the result of working the steps and staying actively engaged with all of you is, I don't need to quit playing God. I don't need to. I do need to quit playing God. In fact, I need to quit playing God, and that and when I let go of the results and I show up, right, and I stop being so worried, like, well, where's my stuff? And there are only finite resources, and I've got to go after it. When I let go and hold my hands open to God, right, like I have a new employer, God provides what I need if I keep close to him, right? More and more, I become interested in seeing, what can I give to life? Not what are you guys giving to me? Not when am I going to get the friend or the marriage or the baby? Like, all of that stuff just adds more stuff to my life. And it is amazing. Like I'm not going to say there is a day that I ever have regretted and it's not been very long. But that I'm married. I don't regret that. But I know that what has marriage done for me? It's called me closer to God. It's called me closer to this program. It's called me closer to all of you. Um, and being being a recovered woman today means that when i have these fears when i'm resentful it's because i'm telling myself lies and i can start to believe in these new varieties of lies but today i learned that like being in my body again it means accepting that i'm going to feel uncomfortable but it doesn't mean i need to lash out at you it doesn't mean that anything externally is going to make me feel better and one of my favorite prayers that my sponsor taught me is that God is sending me who I need, what I need, when I need, for as long as I need it. And that is my mantra today. It's not, you know, how am I gonna get my stuff? It's that God is in charge and that the stuff is just stuff and it's gonna come and go and ebb and flow. And I'm not driven. By the resentments and the fears and the relationship misconduct that that just brings so much misery and um i'll just close with this like there's nothing more joyous than having death of self for successful living and what that means for me today is that when you call me and give me good news i'm psyched one of my sponsors said to me she said if someone else gets married That means you can get married if someone else is a mom that means you can be a mom like but again it's um letting go of the outcome and remembering that you know page 100 we realize that the things that came to us when i put myself in god's hands not katie g's hands but god's hands are better than anything i could have planned Follow the dictates of my higher power, and I will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. So it's a huge topic um, to cover in 15 minutes, um, and I hope I have done it justice. It is an honor and privilege to be with you today um, and to continue walking this walk shoulder to shoulder one day at a time. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you very much, Katie G., for sharing your experience with us second panelist this morning craig f from oklahoma craig star one to unmute
3: this is craig f recovered in tulsa oklahoma i'm sorry a little slow this morning on the draw Um, i'm going to start by uh, uh, apologizing if i break into a coughing fit i'm fighting a cold and a Sore throat this morning, and I hope that that doesn't uh, get in the way of, of sharing what I need to share uh, This topic was is great for me it 's good for me, and that it forced me to inventory and acknowledge uh, my growth and changes and, and not and not take them for granted and, you know i I heard somebody say one time recently that uh, that they do their gratitude list with the idea that uh, Whatever they don't put on their gratitude list, they're going to lose tomorrow. And uh, you know, uh, I think it's important to be to be grateful for the changes that we have. I also think that it's necessary that I acknowledge that any any changes that I've that I've experienced are not my accomplishments. Uh, they're gifts. They're miracles of the program. Uh, it, it's also necessary to say that, uh, and I, I don't want to give the impression that I've been transformed to some state of perfection, or that bluebirds and butterflies circle my head and uh, unicorns run around in my yard with constant rainbows overhead, uh, we claim spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, I, I'm better than I was, but, uh, you know, I'm not as good as I may uh, hopefully uh, grow to be. Um, from the ninth step promises on page eighty four it says our whole attitude and outlook on life would change and i and i I took that to be the topic today that uh, as I understood it uh, I had to choose between several uh, personality changes that I see in myself today and focus on an example uh, one example for this talk and and uh, that was good for me too to 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 look at that and to look at the different ways that uh, that I've been transformed and been changed. Um, So the attitude and outlook I chose to talk about, I described as um, accepting that I'm just a flawed human being, uh, another bozo on the bus. In in other words, accepting my humanity. In in my perfectionism and and in the grip of the disease, I, I swing back and forth between seeing myself as better than I am and worse than I am. Of focusing either on my accomplishments or on my failures and defects. Uh, uh, I feared and focused on a, a scripture that says, uh, to whom much is given, much will be expected, and knew that uh, uh, I would come up way short of what I could have or should have been. Uh, this overwhelming sense of guilt did something to me, and it does something for me. Uh, what it did to me was that it uh, stood in the way of my uh, contact with God, Uh, the the guilt got in the way. But what it did for me was it allowed me to continue in my behavior because I might as well continue if I was uh, irredeemably broken. Um, So we come to the steps. Uh, You know, I, I came in 27 years ago, and I made passing attempts at the steps, Always holding back and never being completely honest uh, I, I wanted to continue uh, in certain behaviors uh, uh, and uh, I tried to bargain with God uh, when I ended up in the hospital a year ago I, I finally knew that I was defeated that half measures had gotten me nowhere you know I, I uh, uh, would had come in this program at uh, 410 pounds, I'd gotten down to 260, and at my, you know, I'm 6'4", and, uh, you know, 260 is not too bad of a weight. I probably could have taken another 20 off, but, uh, you know, it it was pretty close to where I played basketball, and uh, uh, in in my relapse, uh, I ended up at one point at 520 pounds, and I uh, uh, had... Gotten uh, lymphedema in my legs, and the lymphedema got infected, and I ended up in the hospital for three weeks with a doctor telling me that I was about to die, and I and and I I cried out. I knew that uh, I knew that I'd eaten myself pretty much to death, and I knew that where the solution was. I'd seen the solution work in me and others, and uh, so uh, you know that was a spiritual awakening. It was a uh, an nitrate capsule in my nose. It woke me up. Um, I got a sponsor, and I, and I worked the steps as completely and honestly as I know how, as I could, as honestly as I'm capable of being with myself, and that grows with time. Um, in step four, I inventoried my grosser defects. I saw that there was a limit that the defects were so big and 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 so and not and. And no bigger and no smaller. I I admitted those things to God, myself, and another human being. Um, The world didn't end and the guillotine didn't fall. Uh, Just because I I, uh, admitted those things that I didn't want to admit to. And uh, it it wasn't the end. As a matter of fact, it was a freeing experience. As I sat there and did that, I sat in the same chair with the that I'm in right now with my uh, preacher that I gave my fifth step to sitting in a chair next to me and admitted to him things that you just uh, don't admit in church, you know, and uh, and the world didn't end, and he still loved me, and we're still friends, and, and uh, you know, uh, I'm still a human being. Uh, in six and seven, I boiled these things down to my character defects, and I asked God to remove them, and and we moved on. And in eight and nine, I cleaned up my side of the street uh, as best I could. And uh, you know, I made made those amends. Um, I wrote those letters. I paid that money. I did the things that I was supposed to do. And every time I did that, uh, a burden was lifted from me. Uh, I felt uh, less uh, ashamed, less uh, less less than, uh, less minimized, and uh, I uh, began to see that uh, my uh, um, that my relationship with God was uh, inc- was improving. That I I began to feel God's presence um, and, and forgiveness and His grace. And and I um, would tell my sponsor these things, and he would uh, about um, what I was doing or what I was feeling, and he would say they have a name for people like you. It's called human being, and and I, I began to see myself as just another bozo on the bus. As just uh, a human being. Um, it, this it was exhausting that process of trying to hold up a mask to the world and walking with a foot on both sides of a canyon. Uh, you know, presenting an image that I knew wasn't true and remembering or trying to remember the stories and lies that I told or was supposed to tell. I had to eat to carry that much guilt and anxiety. Today, I don't have to live like that. Uh, today, I know that God has all of me, the good, the bad, that he can use all of it. Uh, with sponsees, I can share where I've been, what happened, and what it's like now. And I get to claim the other, another ninth step promise that says that no matter how far down the scale I've gone, or in this case, up the scale, my experience can help others. Also, I can claim the fifth step promise on page 75 that says, once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone and at perfect peace and ease, and and our fears will fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. To me, that's one of the most delightful promises in the book. Um, uh, we feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe, and and that promise I can claim today. Uh, I, I feel like I'm on the broad highway, and that I'm walking hand in hand with with my Creator, with the spirit of the universe, God, however, whatever name you want to use. Um, and I, I, and I'm not saying I don't stumble, and I'm not saying I'm I do that perfectly. I'm saying that I have a partner in that, and that, uh, and that partner, uh, and, and those fellows around me, we're moving the right direction. You know, we're, we're, I, I'm, I'm moving towards the right way, and and and, and imperfectly, uh, walking that path. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the difference that I kind of illuminated. Here, and I, I said and I want to illuminate it a little bit and that's the difference between uh, a spiritual awakening a spiritual experience and enlarging my spiritual life sometimes those terms get used interchangeably and I I've come to understand that 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 it's for me it's important to, to remember that that I had a spiritual awakening when I came in this program uh, the, early on you know I call like I said, an amyl nitrate popped in my, you know, the stuff they give a somebody that's had a concussion that wakes them up uh, uh, popped under my nose. I woke up, you know, and, and that, that was an awakening. Um, you know, I have a, had a spiritual experience as I began to give away my uh, uh, inventory and I began to make amends. And that spiritual experience was that Feeling of that nearness of my Creator, the feeling that I was walking hand in hand with God, and 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 that um, was inspirational and it was great. And and then the third thing is I enlarged my spiritual life, and and that that's another topic because it goes beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. But that enlarging my spiritual life is what happens in the growth steps in ten, eleven, and twelve. Bill says it comes from self-sacrifice and working with others. And uh, uh, so there are three things. But today we're talking about the the spiritual awakening and the the spiritual experience and the change in the personality. Uh, My my prayer life began to open up. I began to feel God's presence and forgiveness and grace. Um, I'm sorry, I'm back on the... I shuffled my cards. How embarrassing. I made a mistake. Anyway, ego. Um, ego is was uh, defined to me. You know, the, first of all, the steps were defined to me as an ego-reducing process. And ego was defined to me as not that I think about that I think too little of myself, or that I think too much of myself, but that I think about myself too much. So the biggest personality change that that I've seen in, in myself is that I simply think about myself less. Um, You know, it's it's not just about the food, of course. It's about the food, so it's not about the food. But, um, you know, it's not just that I don't think about food as much. It's that I don't think about me as much. I don't think about uh, my shame and my guilt. I don't think about my uh, my, uh, security, my petty desires. As much I don't I'm not wrapped up in my own comfort as much Um, today um, I I spend a lot of my time uh, on the phone with fellow uh, travelers in this program I I sponsor a lot of a lot of guys Um, I spend most of my evenings on the phone with them and and it's the most rewarding experience of my life to get to share in their lives, uh, you know, uh, they do me so much more good than I could probably ever do them, because not only in them do I see myself, but in them, um, when I when I talk to them about something that happened to me, I'm able to to, to see more clearly my own experiences, my own um, my own growth, my own um, need for God. And and you see that that is to me that is the the essence of the change that I had from working the steps that that I am not consumed as much with myself anymore that I am uh, consumed um, less and less about my petty desires and my petty goals but that um, and and my guilt and that I'm not sitting here. Uh, scheming against the world and uh that I'm I'm out of myself I'm I you know I'm out of my selfishness and uh and and as that that is that is a uh, that's a fact that grows in, in my life uh all, all the time and and it leads me to that to a place you know I, I, again there there it's not unicorns and unicorns and rainbows and Butterflies and bluebirds, but it is a wonderful place to live. It, it, it's such a better place to live than in the hell of my own uh, ambitions and pettiness. And I think that that's just about fifteen minutes. If uh, uh, and uh, if if it is, and I, I I think I've done my damage, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks.
4: Thank
0: you very much, Craig F, for cha- for sharing your experience this morning. Let's welcome panelist number three, Leslie W. from Tennessee.
5: Thank you, Leah. Can you hear me okay, Leah?
0: I hear you well.
5: Thank you. I'm just getting over a respiratory bug, so my voice is a little bit shaky, but God's power is made perfect in my weakness. So here we go. Um, so today I'm gonna to focus on one specific area of my life where old ideas, emotions, and attitudes used to dominate me. And I'm gonna tell about how this um, this 12-step process <clears throat> rearranged me in that area of my life so that new ideas, emotions, and attitudes could take place. Um, in the big book on page 27, it says, here and there once in a while alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences Um, to me these occurrences are phenomena they appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements ideas emotions and attitudes which were once the guiding force of our lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them and that is exactly what has happened to me um, <clears throat> and continues to happen to me in different areas of my life, in different layers, in different phases. Um, but I'm going to focus on one specific area, and that area is with my children. Um, and that old idea that used to dominate me consisted of believing that bad things happened to my children as a direct result um, of me, that God is punishing me. Um, and that also those bad things, um, are a reason for me to pick up. The false belief that I am a bad mother because bad things happen to my children under my watch. I am the one to blame and have somehow fallen prey to the belief that I caused these things to happen or could have somehow prevented it. And you see that there, how I'm giving myself a lot of power. Um, So I'm just gonna jump right into it. I have two boys, I'm a stay at home mom and I have (laughs) two boys ages eight and three. And when my youngest was 17 months old, he was sitting coloring a a picture at our kitchen table um, and I was standing right there with him and I had him buckled into his booster seat at the table. And I turned to pick up something on the stove And when I did, somehow he had put his feet on, wedged his feet between the chair and the table and pushed back. And when he did, the chair flipped back and he hit his head on the tile floor. And he cried, but I I really didn't think that he uh, was severely injured until the next day. Um, when I could literally push my fingers into the side of the skull. So I rushed him to um, Children's Hospital, and they took x-rays. This was in the fall of 2015, and they told me that he had a um, skull fracture. During this time, I found vision. I was in the midst of repeating the step work with my current sponsors. I had relapsed a few months after this second baby was born. And I was working back towards step nine at this point and beginning to make amends to my husband when all of this happened. My fear completely took over. I began lashing out, dumping my emotions out on him, my husband, neglecting his needs and magnifying mine, repeating old patterns and behavior. And my marriage began to fall apart. Again, this is not the first time it had happened. But this time I could tell that that he really meant business. I had to do something drastic because I didn't want to lose my marriage and I didn't want to go back to the misery of compulsively overeating. So I did the only thing that I knew to do, which was throw myself into this program, my program work, and I began to ask God to help me. I began to ask God to help me stop fighting. And for me, that was drastic. And before this, it's important to note that I was very lackadaisical about my step work um you know very lackadaisical about it but it was also this time see all things all these events are working together for a reason and I can see that now it was also this time that I heard the good news of hope that one can become recovered on this vision for you phone meeting I'd never heard that before in the five years of going to -to face-to-face meetings What it did was it gave me an attainable goal and something tangible to work towards and it gave me hope, which I so desperately needed at that time in order to obtain the willingness. It was also during this time going back and forth to pediatric neurologists and during the treatment for his head injury that the pediatric neurologist found a sacral dimple on the baby's lower back which can be indicative of something called tethered cord syndrome, spinal cord syndrome, where the the, the tissues attached to the spine and the limits of the movement, limits the movement of the lower body that can lead to irreversible neurological and motor impairments later in life. So there, we had more tests and more MRIs and months of waiting to find out what was gonna happen. What was the damage that we didn't know, you know? There was no way to know. Um, so we waited. And it was at this time where I came to a crossroads in my faith. I came to a crossroads in my program. And I had to believe. I had to basically poop or get off the pot, you know. Do I believe that God is a good God and that he will take care of me and my children or don't I? And I'm going to reference page 53 in how agnostics, uh, excuse me, in we agnostics. Which says, when we became alcoholics, crushed by self imposed crisis that we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else He is nothing. God either is or He isn't. What was our choice to be? Arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith and we couldn't duck the issue. For me, there was no more hiding, there was no more ducking the issue. I had to make a decision and for me um god either is or isn't he's either going to i'm either going to trust him to take care of me and take care of my child and my children or i'm not and i knew that if i could trust god with my child that everything else would follow because see for me that was my biggest and worst fear something happening to my child and you see, my God doesn't really tolerate anything before him. He doesn't tolerate anything, any other gods before him, not even my children, not the food, not my husband, not my children. So if my children or my husband or my parents or anyone else becomes my God, then inevitably I know that I will be crushed by that self-imposed crisis. I know that inevitably I will be faced with that decision to either release those people into God's care and, and keep or keep fighting to desperately hold on. And those are my only two choices, just like with the food. Those are the only two doors. So um, thankfully, that MRI came back negative. Thankfully, the type of head injury that my son sustained was the best type that you want to sustain. It was what's called a linear, linear skull fracture, which does, in fact, heal on its own over time fast forward God's providence fast forward to February of 2017 this year my son was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder and a speech disorder but because of the fearless and searching inventory that I completed regarding my son and this this other incident that I went through um, the, the truth had been revealed to me prior that 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 these are really my own defects of character coming out fear pride ego in reverse which is mentioned on in the aa 12 and 12 on page 45. so as soon as i felt that i knew that the action which needed to be taken was to face it head on so i dove into evaluations i contacted the proper people that i was supposed to contact i went to the meetings i did the paperwork we're doing the therapy we did the doctor's appointments I still felt fear throughout that process, but because of the work through the steps, I I relied, I knew what I had to do, right? I I, I followed the instructions. I relied upon my fellows. I relied upon doing regular tense steps and constant service to to relieve that fear. Because for me, the only way to relieve it is, is to take action. I have to take action. I cannot sit in those feelings, or they will consume me, and I will eat. So I practiced ten, eleven, and twelve daily as I was going through this next trial with my son, and have now begun to see the benefits and the improvements uh that he has made throughout this process. His his progress has astounded me. The wonderful team of therapists, teachers and doctors that What has been and continue to be available to me were all sent by God. God gave me everything I need and he continues to give me everything I need. The new idea is that bad things will happen. Sometimes. But it's not because God is punishing me. Because that's not who God is. My God is a loving God. The new belief that has taken its place is that I am a good mother who does the very best she can. I don't have enough power to prevent all those bad things from happening. I place my children in God's hands today. And I enjoy every day with them to the best of my ability. To conclude, I do not I have learned that I do not control my children's destiny. I am their caretaker, not their creator. They ultimately belong to God and not to me. And I am privileged and blessed to be given the responsibility of being their mother. Good things and bad things happen. But God takes care of them. And God takes care of me each and every day here on this earth thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to give this service today and I know that's not quite 15 minutes but really that's all that I needed to say this morning and I thank you Leah
0: thank you Leslie W. for sharing your personal insights and experience with all of us this morning and panelist number four Naomi B. from Pennsylvania welcome Naomi
6: Thank you, Leah. Good morning. Good morning, my vision family. This is Naomi. Be a grateful recovered compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. No no words could tell the loneliness and despair I found in the bitter morass of self-pity. My old ways of thinking were very selfish, self-centered, dishonest, resentful, and fearful. I was driven by getting my food fixed at any cost. One of those costs meant leaving my baby girl in a crib alone in the middle of the night so I could go out to the convenience store and pick up some ice cream. That was crazy. Who does those kind of things? Well, I did because I was driven by my my disease. Another thing that stands out in my life is uh, for about 25 years I had my own daycare business here in my home, and I was so consumed with, with carbs that while the children would sleep in the afternoon, I too would fall asleep. I was physically unable to do anything other than that. On Wednesday nights, I have a second job, and um, I got it in my head not to eat dinner. So I would sit there, and for all appearances, I had a math book in front of me if I wasn't working with a student. The actuality of this was my brain was having food ping-pong. Was I to leave the the class afterwards and go to the convenience store to buy an Italian hoagie or a turkey hoagie from 6:30 until 8:30? And then I felt entitled because I had worked all day in my business, and then I worked at night. That's a 14-hour day, and I was I had that entitlement because I my brain I as a chronic alcoholic. Yes, I would seek out the ease and comfort of the food, which lasted for about five seconds, and then the self-hatred came into my my being. I truly had the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body, and when ingested these foods, I was off to the races. My disease engulfed me and everyone else around me. My family suffered. Everyone suffered. My poor children, my two little daughters, well, they're grown now, but at the time, They suffered, too, because physically I wasn't able to do things with them because of my size and my limitations. Until I had a spiritual awakening in the nature of a huge emotional displacement and rearrangement, I would not be free. This this resonates for me in Bill's story. How dark is it before the dawn? I was soon to be catapulted into the fourth dimension of existence. I would know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that was incredibly more wonderful as time passes. My life as an X problem, compulsive overeater, depends upon my constant thought of others. I must depend on the infinite God rather than finite self. My mindset, my tolerance, I mean, everything changed about me. Love and tolerance of others became my code. I was truly, at the time prior to that, driven by self-will. This is is what happened in my life. I know I am no longer running the show. I now have a director. I am the student. He is the teacher. This has taken so much pressure off me because I don't have to tell people what to do. And I did. And I did it very well because I knew best. I knew best. Well, God does not make hard of, of terms and those who seek him. And then the steps, ah, oh, these wonderful, wonderful steps. Oh, my gosh. The fourth, fourth and fifth step, putting out of my mind the wrongs others had done to me. I resolutely turned and looked at my mistakes. Where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Where was I to blame? I've been trying to get a new attitude and new relationship with those around me and my creator. I must be entirely honest with somebody. If I expect to be happy and live long, I must be hard on myself and considerate of others. Six and seven. I'm so ready to let God remove all these defects in my character. Asking God, how can I best serve you? And eight and nine. Going back over the list from four and five, who I'd harmed and tempting to sweep away the debris of my of my life. Disregarding... Disregarding what others had done to me, my real purpose is to fit myself into maximum service to God and those around me. And then with doing steps four, four through nine daily, I am doing my tenth step. For faith in a power greater than myself was a miraculous demonstration of that power in human lives and facts as old as man himself. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the governing force of my life, was suddenly cast aside. Life does not stop because I have neutrality around the food. Only staying close to God and working the steps daily was I to see a change in my life. I recovered, not cured, from a hopeless condition of mind and body, having God match calamity with serenity. As one of our fellows always says on this line, and I love it and I live it, I will never rise above the level of being human. What i like to focus on today was my husband. My husband has been the best in my life for working my program, and God has allowed me to go through all these instances I'm going to talk about without picking up the food. On May 1st, 2014, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, I received a phone call to tell me that my husband collapsed at work and he was taken to the ER. I had my lunch in my hands. I instantly put it down and flew out and drove over to the hospital alone, which in itself was very nerve wracking. I was very jittery. I didn't know what to expect. I made sure God was in the passenger seat and I prayed to him all the way over. I also asked God to protect my stomach because I didn't know when I was going to eat again. After a a few tests, I got the word. My husband had suffered an aneurysm in the aorta in the abdomen, which they call the widow maker. Thankfully, while my husband was being tested, my daughter was in town, and we we went to the cafeteria to get something to eat. There was so much food there. But nothing. There was nothing that would have changed any any of the circumstances. I did order a salad with a protein, and I also ordered a cup of cream of spinach soup. And as soon as I tasted the soup, which I I don't normally eat, and I don't know why, my I, mind wasn't thinking straight. I could taste the flour. And I said to my daughter, I can't eat this. It has flour in it. She said, Mom, I don't know what you're thinking. I said, Daddy's in surgery. I'm not really thinking right now. And this is a man who never got colds. I mean, he was never sick. So that was May 2014. Okay, fast forward to June 1st, 2015. My husband was involved in a car accident. He was okay. The car was totaled. And shortly before this, and at the time I was babysitting for my 15-month-old granddaughter, I picked up a car seat because, in my mind, we were going to go out and about in our car. Okay, wrong. The car is down. So I had this wonderful stroller with a hood. So God had me out walking, where at my top weight, which was 280, I couldn't walk three blocks. I would be taking my granddaughter for a walk or on my own. From two to five miles without dropping dead. This was like, how does this happen? How does this happen? I'm, 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 I'm 70 years young, and it's like, how does this happen? I couldn't do these things when I was in my 50s and 60s. Okay, we come to 2016. We make it all the way up to Christmas morning. Oh, finally, I could breathe a sigh of relief. Wrong. My husband starts complaining about back injuries or back pains, I thought, well, we better get this checked out. We take him to the ER at a local hospital to find out the stint they put in his abdomen in twenty fourteen was leaking. So the original hospital that did the surgery could not do it because they weren't staffed. It was Christmas morning. So we had to take him down to one of the one of the hospitals in Center City, Philadelphia. And thank you God. Once again he recovered. He did very well, he took the time off that he needed, and he was okay, okay, so that's twenty sixteen so now we come to twenty seventeen It's like, well, he comes home early one afternoon, and I looked out the window, and it was like, "Are you okay?" And he said, "I was laid off. The company just folded. I felt like the air was sucked out of my body, and sure enough. He was laid off, so he's able to collect unemployment. But at 69 years old, he's got to start all over again looking for a job because he still wants to work for a few years. And I have to say, I thank God, I thank God through all these trials, all these tribulations, not one time did the food enter into this equation because the food would never change anything. The food would just complicate things. And I turn to God. I turn to God for all things. And God allows me to work through my program daily, and I work with others, which I need to do to hold my serenity and my, my sanity. And God is doing for me what I could never do for myself. I have to tell you, I absolutely thank God, O.A., Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, for saving my life and allowing me to honor them with doing service for others. Now, we're not destitute, and thank you, God, my husband is going out there, and he's putting in applications. Leah, if you can time me, I don't have a, I don't have a clock in front of me, please. Um, so what happens this morning? All of a sudden, our dog is barking, and my husband comes upstairs with an envelope, and we open the envelope. It's addressed to my husband and I, and it's only signed from someone that cares. And in the envelope was two hundred dollars. And I'm like, like, oh my I mean, I'm still shaking because it's such a humbling experience. And and my husband knows my program. My husband's a normal eater. My daughter's a normal eater. I'm the I'm the one with the crazy brain. And he said, Look how you're affecting people's lives. And this is just my boggling because I'm the one that does for others, to help others, because I would be so selfish and so lax if I didn't go give back what was so generously given to me. I thought of myself as being a woman over 300 pounds in a wheelchair. That is not the case today. I've released 100 pounds, and I'm out walking. And this is this is like how does this happen? When I thought for sure I would be over the 300 pounds, because this is where I was going. Food was everything for me. Food was my God. And thankfully, that's not the case today. Thank you, God. I become abstinent July 25th of 2011. And this is this program is just miraculous. And if there are any newcomers on the line, and if you think you're beyond help, give this program a chance. It really does work. And the beautiful part of it is just for today. So just for today, all I have to do is just think about, you know, being of service to others, which I'm doing now. And thank you, God, I feel very honored to do this. And staying close to God. And everything else will fall into place. I absolutely bristle when I hear in the program that abstinence is the most important thing in in their lives. And that's okay, because that's their journey. Everyone has a different journey. My journey is to stay close to God and work my program every day. I don't know if that's how close I am to the 15 minutes, but um, I'd like to end there. And thank you so much for allowing me to serve. I am here, and with that I pass.
0: Thank you so much, Naomi B., for sharing this morning. All panelist contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. The share ID for this recording is 10640. That's 10,640. And we'll now transition to a question-answer segment. If you have a question for... Any of the panelists, you can press star 1 to unmute. Identify yourself by first name and first letter of your last name,
6: please. Good morning. I'm Kathy. And can you tell me what time the telephone numbers will be given out?
0: Yes, at the conclusion of this recording, approximately 10 a.m. Eastern time. Thank you. I pass. Okay. Who has a question for our panelists this morning? Lori. good morning. This is Starlight.
2: Um, I'm calling from Minnesota. We're at a convention with about 15 yes.
0: people in our room. Sorry. Welcome. Your name again, um, please. Yes. I'm sorry. One moment. Your name? Charlotte. Charlotte. Okay. Hold on, Charlotte. Let's see who else has a question this morning. I'll come back to you. Anyone else? Lori a question? P. Lori P. Lori Kimber- P.
5: Kimberly S.
0: Kimberly S. Anyone else in this grouping? Okay, Charlotte, please include the first letter of your last name and ask your question. Thank you.
7: Oh, thank you. Um, good morning. This is Charlotte D. My question is, um, I'm. this is my first time listening to one of these calls, but how do those of you that are working, you know,
5: a
1: vision for you, how do you incorporate that with local meetings or do you still go to local meetings or do you find they complement each other or i just wondering, how does it work for you, or how do you make it work? This
7: is
2: Katie G. I can address that.
1: Please go ahead, Katie.
2: Sure. Um, well, welcome. So excited to hear you. So a vision for you is just an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. Um, there's no vision for you methodology. We're an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, and we are committed to the studying of the and practicing of the 12 steps and 12 traditions, as they're outlined in the big book. Um, When I first came to Vision for You, um, I was already involved in um, some meetings that were local, studying the Big Book, Um, and I know a lot of people who spend some time attending the vision for you meeting and working with a sponsor and having a spiritual and then getting to the point where they have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps so that they can then go on and carry a message of the big book and of recovery so i think that um, integrating it into your local meetings can be a great opportunity for all of us um, to carry the message. And that's definitely something, too, that you can chat with your sponsors so that you have an appropriate um, balance of learning what we're studying here in the big book, and then, of course, integrating with our local community. That's
0: all. Thank you, Katie. Any other panelists like to chime in on that?
6: This is Naomi B. I'd love to...
0: Go ahead, Naomi.
6: Thank you. Um, I have the honor of... um, being a moderator on, on a phone meeting at nighttime, uh, another OA phone meeting at nighttime, and my sponsor questioned me about doing this because it had it's tied in with relapses. And I said, yes, I, I really need to do that because I need to carry the message, and and my message has depth and weight as far as carrying the big book. And I know for myself, when I went to my first OA meeting, it's like my problems with weight. What do I know about drinking? It's just a matter of substituting, and that book, to me, that book has all the answers in it, and carrying the message. That's what I do. Wherever I'm at, I carry the message because this is the only way I can live, and thank you again, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Naomi. Thanks, Charlotte, for the question. Lori P., your turn. Star one morning. Good morning.
1: Good morning, this is Lori P, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from New York, and I have a question for Leslie W. Go ahead. Okay, good morning, Leslie W. Thank you so much for your wonderful share. It was very emotional um, for me. I, too, share that same fear about my children. In fact, um, my son will be going in for spinal surgery at the end of this month, and so my question for you is, <clears throat> I heard you say that you did a fourth step on your son can you share a little bit more about that and that process and and how you came to really release your children to God knowing that you're not their God and just what that process was like for you
5: yeah thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to address that um to expand upon that so the fourth step inventory um really was about fear um and uh For me, and selfishness. So when I took that fourth step inventory, um, it looked like this. Um, I'm afraid of my son dying. I'm afraid of being a bad mother. I'm afraid, yada, yada, yada. Selfishness is um, that I don't want something bad to happen to him because I don't want to have to deal with those repercussions. Um, I don't want it to disrupt my life. Um, and quite frankly, I just can't handle it. You know, that's what it looked like for me. The dishonesty was that, um, I was, you know, assuming things that, um, assuming outcomes, outcomes that belong to God and not me. When I didn't really know the outcomes, everything was a question mark. And so um, <clears throat> the dishonesty was that I was making those assumptions about, about what would happen to my son, you know, um, that he was going to be um, severely impaired because of, because of this, this head injury um, or that maybe he would be paralyzed because of the possible tethered, sco- tethered cord. So all of those things that were going on in my head. Um, see so you're going to look at those four things you're going to look at you know dishonesty fear selfishness um and uh oh yeah resentment so here's another one that you might not know resentment is like feeling something over and over and over and over again it doesn't necessarily mean being angry with someone although most of the time that's that is what it means for me but um What happened for me was as I was going through the inventory process, I had to also acknowledge the resentment that I had over the fact that I was even dealing with this. I didn't want to even deal with this stuff, and I was pissed off about that. Um, And I also kept re-feeling the incident over and over and over and over again by telling my story to friends, neighbors, church members, anybody and everybody who had heard about what happened to my son and wanted to talk about it. I kept reliving it which only increased that fear in me. And so mm-hmm. that was what my inventory looked like. And I will be happy to talk more to you about this offline because that is a very big question. And I think it should be addressed um, uh, maybe one-on-one between you and I. So please feel free to call me. My number is 615-974-1290. That's 615 615- Nine seven four one two nine zero, And thank you for the question. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Lori P., for the question. Kimberly S., your question, please. Star 1 to unmute.
5: Hi, this is Kimberly S., a recovering compulsive overeater from Ohio. And this question is for Katie G. You said you had a mantra that God is sending me who I need, what I need, and could you complete the rest of that?
2: Absolutely. It's my favorite. So God is sending me who I need, what I need, when I need, for as long as I need it. So God is sending me who I need, what I need, when I need for as long as I need it.
7: Thank
0: you. You're welcome. Thanks, Kimberly. Who else has a question this morning for one of our panelists? You can do so by pressing star one to unmute and identify yourself, please. Liz T. in Minnesota. Liz T. Hi,
4: this is
0: Jackie C. Jackie C. Get one more. I'm not catching the gentleman. If you could speak up, that.
3: Can I speak to that last person again? Yeah, my name is Scott. And I've got a question for that last Scott? speaker or the right.
0: One moment, Scott. Hold on. Hold on. One minute. Thanks. One moment, please. Anyone else in this grouping?
4: Cindy H.
0: Cindy H.
1: All
4: right. Garrison.
0: Garrison. 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 Hi, Garrison. Hold on. Okay, let's go with Liz T, followed by Jackie C. Go ahead, Liz.
7: Good morning, fellow brothers and sisters in recovery. My name is Liz T, recovering in Minnesota, and thank you so much for your shares on the line today. I think it was Craig that shared about, um, and maybe KDG also, about being the actor and the director on the stage. And I guess something I've been struggling with lately is how do I balance um, letting God's will come into my life and letting things happen and unfold and and knowing when to step up or speak up and, and say my truth Um, because I have a fear of stepping on the toes of my fellows and they retaliate. I know it's a very broad question, but if anything comes up for you that has helped you with that, what I'm focusing on the most lately is getting quiet with my higher power in my step 11 and doing fear inventories in my step 10. And also trying to stay busy in my 12th step with, you know, with the fellowship and being, um, you know, trying to be of service to my higher power, myself and myself. Is there anything coming up for any of you that that has been helpful um, in your spiritual journey? I hope that question makes sense.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Liz. Who would like to respond?
3: This is Craig.
0: Thank you, Craig.
3: Um, You know, one of the things that... uh, Thank you for that question. It's, I think, a good one. One of the things that... uh, I think makes a big difference to me is that understanding the difference between um, controlling things for a result uh, and uh, saying what I need to say. You know, you talked about speaking up for your truth, but we can speak up and say what we need to say to take care of ourselves, to, to establish a boundary. And that, But that doesn't mean that people are going to uh, – to hear you or listen to you or respect the boundary you've established so so there's a difference the difference is uh... expecting the result of of control and uh... you know i i'm uh... uh i've I had to do a lot of uh... tenth step work myself and uh, that, and, uh, and you know it always starts with where's my selfishness and it always starts with uh... With uh, I expect people to do things the way I want them to do them, and, and that's that's control, and uh, you know. But that doesn't mean that I can't say this is the boundary. This is where I would appreciate you don't step over my boundary, and uh, I just can't expect that people are gonna uh, are gonna behave the way I want them to behave. So that's the fine line difference for me. I hope that makes sense. Thanks. I pass.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Liz T., for the question. Jackie C., your turn.
2: May I add something, Leah? This is Katie. Hi, this is Jackie. Of course. Oh, sorry, of course. never mind.
0: One, oh. Hold on. I'm sorry, Jackie C., one moment, please. Go ahead, Katie.
2: Just a 30 second. I totally echo what Craig said. And the other thing that's helped me learn um, to speak is when I do the 10-step inventory is um, – is being, you know, softened and being open to God and um, learning it's not what I say, it's how I say it. Um, And exactly like Craig said about the expectations, like if I say this, um, it doesn't mean that somebody is going to do what I'm asking them to do. But learning to speak my truth has really been about really inventorying and talking with other recovered women and learning to differentiate the truth from the false, like, can we say this? Is this appropriate? How do I say it? And how do I say it? Because um, tone of voice and um, my attitudes towards other people um, has been really life-changing, learning about how that changes um, how I am heard. And with that, I pass.
0: Thanks very much, Liz T., again, for your question. Jackie C., your turn
4: hi this is jackie
5: c recovering in california i I had a question for leslie first i just want to say thanks to everyone um leslie can you say more about your experience with your belief changing about god not punishing you anymore thanks or ever not if that makes sense. thank you yeah yeah um the question is can i expand upon my belief and how that changed of um God not punishing me anymore. Is that right? Yes. <clears throat> Thank yes, you. That's right. Uh, all right. Yep. So that has been a long process for me. Um, you know, when you when you grow up, I'll I'll just share a little bit about how I grew up. I grew up in South Georgia. Um, I'm a southern girl, as you can probably tell from my accent. Um, but you know, southern Baptist was raised southern Baptist in a Christian home. And um, if there was ever a message um, talked about God being good and God being loving and kind, for some reason, I never heard that. All I heard were big, fat, sweaty preachers getting up on the pulpit and talk about how I'm going to go to hell if I don't accept Jesus into my life. So let me tell you, that was the, 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 the vision of God that I had in my head was this, this punishing God who was just waiting to squash me like a bug. Um, and, and I felt a constant. Constant um gun on my back to perform and to be a certain way and to earn God's love. And if I stepped out of line, then hell would come raining down, right? So that's the old belief. And that's how what what had happened to me and how I, I had perceived God to be. Um When I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, um, you know, people talked about it being a spiritual program and not a religious one. I didn't understand that. See, I thought spirituality and religion were the same thing. Um, And for me, that process of, of, of believing that God is not a punishing God anymore. It really came down to my life experiences, which I would, I would, there's more, there's many, many, many more experiences that I have had other than this one that I just mentioned on the line. I'm happy to share that with you and with anybody else who wants to hear it. Um, There's a verse that I held on to and, 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 and it's, and it's, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears has not been yet made perfected in love, has not yet been perfected in love. So I knew that I still had a ways to go, you know, because I still felt that my God was a punishing God, not a loving God. And so the way that I came to believe that God is a loving God and not a punishing one was through the 12-step process. And I worked those steps. It was a step two issue for me. The God who relieved me of my, my obsession from food should not be a punishing God. I had to learn through talking with my fellows, through listening to this line, and through working those steps out of the big book, how to discard those old beliefs, and I asked God, I said the set aside prayer, set aside prayer. That's what you want to hang on to. Reading We Agnostics really helped me to get rid of that old punishing idea. So those are just a few of the things that I did. Um and 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 honestly, just getting down on my knees and asking God to change me. Change change my belief in Him to what He would have it to be, right? Who is God? God, reveal yourself to me. Who really? Who are you really? Not what the pastors say you are. Not what my mom and dad say you are. Not what my husband says you are. Not what anybody else says you are. But who are you, God? Reveal yourself to me. And God did that. And he did it for me. And he'll do it for you. Call me. We'll talk about it.
0: Thanks. Thank you, Jackie C., for your question. Scott, star one to unmute, and please include the first letter of your last name as well.
7: Yeah, my name is Scott, and I have a question for him also at the convention. And uh, my question is, uh, my question is what you're talking about. I have circumstances been going on in my life. I can't really do anything about it, and that creates my, uh, I do have a lot of fear
3: about it. Um... I can't just sell my house, can't leave the house. We've got gunshots going on on every day, and they're real close to the house, and I get very fearful of that, and consequently I
7: eat. And so once I leave today this convention, everything's been fine here,
3: I know I'm going right back into that consequence that I can't change. Do you have any suggestions?
0: Thank you, Scott, for the question.
6: Panelists? Hi, this, this is, is Naomi Katie? B. I'd like to take a shot at this, please. Naomi B., go ahead. Thank it. By, I
0: think you. know, what
6: resonates Katie's in my now. head is step one. Yes, please. We are powerless over food or powerless over our lives, and our lives are unmanageable. I mean, it just, that's it. We have to humble ourselves. We have to just physically because of surgery and stuff I cannot get down on my knees but I spiritually do it and I just I just lay myself open to my higher power and it's like you're in charge I can't handle it it's so above what I could handle and there's always circumstances coming up around we had we had a situation in our neighborhood last night and I did pray on it I did ask the people if they were, you know, kind of quiet themselves down a little bit. But life does not stop just because of these circumstances and God is thought if we go after him and it really does work. And I hope that helped and I pass.
0: Thank you, Naomi. Katie, you wanted to respond as well?
2: Um yeah, sure, really quick. Scott, um you know, I certainly hope you're doing everything to take care of yourself and I can't pretend I know what it's like to live where you are. Um, I can say that what I was taught, and this was really hard for me to understand, is that circumstances are not making me eat. Um, the things that I grew up with, the on the terrors that I faced, they didn't force me to eat. And I learned that because there are people who are living in circumstances who, um, that are similar or better or worse than mine, and they're not eating addictively today. And, um, And I'm not saying that it's easy, um, but I had to um, get to a point with a guide, with a sponsor, which I really suggest you do, where um, I recognize that um, I have a disease and the disease, my allergy, the body and the obsession of the mind was what was driving me to eat and not the circumstances. And that um, this line is filled with hundreds of men and women who are living through remarkable circumstances, and they're not eating and they're doing so happily um, despite whatever's going on in their life. So there's a lot of help and a lot of support, and I encourage you to call us and ask for help.
0: Thank you, Scott, for the question. Cindy H., your turn, star one to unmute, please. Cindy, star one-ton mute.
4: Good morning. This is Cindy H. Can you hear me? I hear you well. Okay. Thank you. Um, I just want to say, first of all, that that I've been seeking recovery for many years. Uh, Originally went to the regular OA meetings on two different occasions through my life and found a lot of what I've heard on the recordings here about uh, not really seeing recovery for myself or others. But um and I just wanted to thank everyone in this group because they have given me hope and um my I have two I have two uh questions. First one is if any of you experienced extreme obsession in your mind where you always doubt yourself and you overanalyze absolutely everything, did did this change through the step work that you did and uh or do you think it's a it's um Do you think that that's something that you have to battle continually? And my second question is, how do you maintain this this spiritual change or personality change in your life on a daily basis? What does that look like for you? Thank you.
0: Thank you for the questions, Cindy. Panelists, who would like to respond?
6: Hi, this, this is Leslie. Leslie. Great. I
0: hear Leslie and Craig. Go right <laughs> ahead. Leslie.
5: Okay. The question, uh do I have I ever experienced obsession of the mind in regards to doubting myself? I believe that was your question. Um uh hell yes. Um all all the time. Um and I it's, obs- obs- Experience not only that obsession, but uh, other obsessions as well. Um, I can obsess over a lot of things. Um, and, 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 you know, mostly when I'm obsessing, it's, it's, it's about self. Um, it's about how it will affect me. And when I find myself doing that about a particular person or situation, I must, I must grab hold to someone else who can teach me and walk me through that inventory process, I must. And if I'm recovered and I, and I find myself doing that, as a recovered person, I still find myself obsessing over certain people, circumstances, and things. And so, you know, when that happens, that's when I must go back and I must dive into that inventory process. I, I cannot do that by myself. I must have someone to help me and guide me because um, at that point, once that obsession locks on, my perspective is skewed. I'm not really going to be able to understand and see myself in a true manner. I'm telling myself a lot of, of a lot of untruths at that point. So that is what I would say about that. And as far as maintaining that spiritual condition, um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of talk about maintenance steps or, growth steps or what have you, um, you know, I'll never, I'll never reach, and and you'll hear this on the vision line a lot, and I'll end with this, um, I'll never rise above the level of being a human being. And, and so that means that um, every day, what that looks like for me is an, is, is a, is an inventory process, is a mini inventory process. And so when I'm disturbed, I will do my step 10, and if you don't know how to do a step 10, um, that is something that a sponsor and other fellows on this line can help you learn how to do. That is something that another another person had to teach me how to do because I did not know how to do them properly. Um, step 11, you know, my nightly review and my prayer and meditation time, having a little bit of time to connect with um, Um, my higher power each day and then step 12 is service if I'm not doing all of those three things then I am not I am not maintaining my spiritual condition so
0: that I pass thanks thanks Leslie Craig F you would like to respond as well please
3: I, I would thank you great question and and uh it's the question is kind of centers on exactly what I was trying to, to say was the change in my life. Um, you know, I, I, uh, suffer from that obsession with self doubt, which is simply an obsession with self. You know, I obsessed over, uh, getting ready for this talk this morning. You know, am I, am I good enough? Am I, you know, am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to, uh, say what i need to say am i going to make any difference for anybody i i mean that self-doubt could eat alive but that it's still just obsession with self um you know uh, i'm I'm i i just have to be uh, honest uh, about who i am and where i'm at and and when i do that then it's okay Uh, it's just okay Uh, one of the my favorite little slogans is compare and despair you know, if I sit around and I uh, spend my time comparing myself with uh, those around me and their uh, their recovery, then I, I'm I'm uh, going to go into despair, and that's just setting myself up for relapse. And, and then, in terms of the uh, uh, the the maintenance of my spiritual condition, uh, the the instructions are so clear about that in the Big Book. I, one of the things that I I did for myself with this last big book that I got was I got five different colors of highlighters, and uh, I highlighted things differently. I, I highlighted the musts as one color, the thesis statements as a color, and then the necessary spiritual experiences, the necessity of a spiritual experience or spiritual growth uh, as a color, and the prayers one color, and the promises a color so that I could find them easily. But that orange that I use for the necessity of a spiritual experience or how to enlarge my spiritual life, um, that orange dominates the book as I flip through it. Mostly what you see when you flip is is the orange, and the instructions are clear. You know, my I enlarge my spiritual life by uh, self-sacrifice, working with others. I enlarge my spiritual life uh, through surrender. And then in this... The, instructions and in steps 10 and 11 and 12 are, are are very clear you know we pray in the morning we pray through the day we we pray and meditate and we uh, do the the daily review and the steps the instructions in 10 are clear and when I when I adopt those disciplines I, I don't necessarily have to feel them in my heart to adopt the, des- the the disciplines I just need to be deliberate about it and when I'm deliberate about that, about those disciplines, the growth comes, and, and it comes as a gift. You know, we're, we're an undisciplined lot, uh, the end of into action says, but uh, God will discipline us, and so it's a gift. And uh, that discipline is what leads to the spiritual growth, in my humble opinion. With that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Cindy H., for the questions. Our final question for today comes from Garrison M. Press star one to unmute, please, Garrison.
1: Hi, this is Garrison, compulsive overeater in Baltimore, Maryland, um, Garrison M. And um, my question is, um, so I'm working my step four. um, And um, after, so in between, I guess, column three and four, um, where I need to pray, the yeah, acceptance prayer column. I'm having a hard time or you know, I'm just wondering um about um when I come to the principles about myself um that are from column one, things like um, you know, I don't get back to people, um, I'm I'm disorganized, I don't stay in touch with people, um, I'm not smart. Um, so I've got all these kind of principles about myself that um that um you know I'm upset about and so I just don't know um you know and I and I have a, a anyway um what h- how the prayer would look like what the prayer would look like for those for those um principles about myself that I put down in column 1 so that's my question how do I pray around that before I move on to column 4
0: Thank you, Garrison. Any panelists like to respond to that, please? Which panelists would like to respond? This is, this is
4: Katie G. Um, Thank you. Katie.
2: I can say hi, Garrison. I'm completely unfamiliar with that instruction. Um, I do know about praying during my fourth step, but I don't know that particular instruction. Um, I but I will say for me, prayer is. Um, is always an important way to communicate with God. And I know that that's not the answer you're looking for, but I would maybe go back and chat with your sponsor, maybe get some more information from that and um, and ask God. I mean, the best news about prayer is there's no wrong way to pray. It's just uh, <laughs> chatting with God, right? And and he or she or higher power will will answer as they see fit. Hope that helps.
0: Thank you very much, Katie. Anyone else want to share their experience on this?
5: Can I answer that? This is Leslie. Of course. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I echo what Katie said a little bit, just because I don't really understand that direction either. That 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 I never did that um, praying praying over that fourth column necessarily. Um, I think the only prayer that's necessary to pray is God grant me the willingness. To To um, be to to see these things, to be able to to recognize it and to acknowledge it, Um, you know, because you haven't gotten to the point yet where you where God's gonna where where you're not yet at six and seven where God's gonna actually begin to remove those defects of character from you. And the fourth that fourth column is just you know that that last column is just looking at your part, um, looking at what you did to set the ball or didn't do to set the ball rolling in that regard. Um, And it's acknowledged, it's the acknowledgement of that. Um, So, you know, I really wouldn't spend too much time thinking about the right prayers to say,
1: I would just do it. That's just, that's my take on it.
0: Thanks, Leslie. And thank you, Garrison M for the question. Thanks to all our panelists this morning, Katie G., Craig F., Leslie W., and Naomi B., for sharing your testimony as to the rearrangement and personality change, a psychic change that's possible as a result of these 12 steps. Thank you very much. We'll close now from page 164 from the Chapter 11 entitled A Vision for You.